and you get over to the beavers, you can't get to dang beavers. And then the frozen river and the beeping and the leaving. That was crazy. So yeah, did you, that was, was that the first time that you <laughs> felt, was that the first time you felt real fear or were there other moments where you were like, I could die right now? Was that the only moment that was at like the end of your journey and you were like, whoa. Yeah, that was the only moment. Really? Sure. You yeah. never felt any, like mm-hmm. that was a kind of fear that like, I can imagine it's like inside, you're like the pit of your being is like, oh, whoa, we need to. Well, and the thing with that frozen river was, yeah, I mean, that was, like, I never felt any threats from the outside. Like, being on the river, that was my own fault, you know? (sighs) That was was my own poor choices right in that moment. So I didn't really have anything. So I felt fear, but I also felt, like, shame at, like, wow, that was a really stupid choice. You just really put yourself in jeopardy. Um, But that was the only moment. No, I really, you know, I, I understand that it maybe should have been scary and um, that it would be for a lot of people, but I felt so seen and held and wanted by that place. I just really didn't feel like there was anything out there that wished me harm. And even, you know, I mean, I was out there on top of that frozen river because I'd been following wolf tracks um, across the ice. And, you know, wolves are big predators, but I, you know, I didn't feel like I was in any danger. Which is not true, you know, like something could have decided that I was an even, uh, you know, an easy meal. But even so, I mean, my deepest desire was to be a deep part of that landscape. And that is part of, that is part of living wild and wild systems. And so in that way, I mean, I'm sure that had I been attacked by a wolf in the moment, it would have been very scary. But, you know, better was to go out that way as part of a beautiful interaction in a wild place than to get taken out in a car accident sure. you know did you have an so, arrow knocked so i wasn't did you have an arrow knocked uh, when you were on walking that around? no i didn't have an arrow knock i'm trying to remember if i even had my bow with wow. me i probably did because i brought my bow everywhere but no i definitely didn't have an arrow knock because you were I just walking and having my bow with me on that trip you were just yeah, experiencing I mean, you know, the beauty of the place it's not that common for wolves to take out people and especially in an environment where they don't see people it's not like we're on the menu it would be an unusual animal that's like what is this thing i've never seen before i guess i'll figure it out by eating it you know (laughs) generally that there would be a curiosity you know the place where you see problem animals is places where humans have been encroaching into wild places a lot and affecting wild animals ability to get game you know like bears attacking people that happens usually in like campgrounds and such and places where they're used to associating humans with food um, so, yeah, I mean, which is not to say that, you know, that they mightn't be motivated that way, but <laughs> it just wasn't, I didn't feel in my gut that I was in danger in those ways. Right. So just from yeah, the I had one water. moment when I was coming back. Yeah. Just from standing on top of water, you know, of, of ice that was way thinner than it should have been to me be standing on top of a frozen river. I just didn't realize. And for the, for the you know, listening audience right now, what she's referring to is a night pretty far out. I think it was night 70, maybe 69 or 70. Um, I, I had hiked out across the ice. I was way out of my bounds. I didn't realize that because the GPS signals and satellite signals are um, really bad out there. So the message telling me that I was way out of bounds didn't come until I was already far out. Um, but it was kind of dusk. I couldn't really, you know, the light was starting to go and I was in this area on this lake, which is this huge lake, um, where the ice was starting to be 
uh, not flat, but kind of bubbled. And I was curious about it. And I thought that it must have been, you know, vegetation or something. And I didn't realize until I was already pretty far out that the reason why it wasn't flat there is because it's actually a, a river. And so it was like the bubbling flow of the river that had frozen and it was not very thick ice. And um, because that's what happens, ice that's on top of flowing water doesn't, doesn't freeze very quickly. So it's a really dangerous, really sketchy place to be. And I just, you know, and that it was so enthralled it was by dusk. following these wolf tracks. The, the dust, yeah, so you, they couldn't they have come to help me. They couldn't have flown the helicopter. They, yeah, they wouldn't have Not been that able. they could have gotten there. I mean, if I had gone through ice on top of a fast-moving frozen river, there would have been nothing they could do. I would have <sighs> been stuffed under the ice anyway, and <sighs> the helicopter would have been a non-issue. <laughs> and I knew that, you know, that was, that was, that's the, you know, I've done a lot of wilderness trips in my day and I've never in my life had a button I could push for someone to come save me so (laughs) that wasn't really part of my reality out there like I knew that everything I was doing was a calculated risk and that you know the chance of rescue was a pretty remote one so that that didn't figure into my thinking out there um that's why you're a superhero you're fearless Um, you're a fearless feminist (laughs) superhero I'm not fearless but that those aren't the things that I'm most afraid of I guess well, okay, so let's switch gears. What are the top five most beautiful things you saw up there that you could, there's probably got to be more than five, mm. but that you For hadn't sure. seen in any of your wilderness journeys that you were just so majestic that, that they didn't show on the show. I mean, they showed a lot of the Northern Lights and I kept being like, is that, that's crazy. That was, wow. Um, they are crazy. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that area, Yellowknife, um, in the Northwest Territories, is um, a worldwide destination for Northern Lights tourism. I mean, the streets are awash with tourists um, who come there to watch the Northern Lights. So, yeah, all that footage was very real. Uh, so, yeah, the Northern Lights definitely, I, I'd seen Northern Lights before. Um, I'd lived in Northern Ontario for a brief time um, and seen some pretty spectacular Northern Lights there. But, yeah, that was those were really, really amazing. Um, the night that I was out on the ice, the night that they showed the footage of where I was trying to get through the ice and realizing that it, in the course of the couple days that I hadn't been out on the ice because there'd been a really intense storm, a really intense storm that dropped the temperature about 20 degrees with just whipping winds. And that storm, the ice went from about four inches thick to about you know 18 to 24 inches thick. Um, so I had been able to get through the ice with the same technique I was using before that, and then all of a sudden there was no way. But that ice, that that, that night, that sunset was the most epically beautiful, awe-inspiring evening of my entire life. And it was really frustrating to me that what they showed instead was me failing to get through the ice, and they inserted bleeps. I'm fairly certain I wasn't actually cussing. Um, I don't know for sure. Maybe I was, but they, but they made it look like a hardship, and it was one of the most amazing nights in my life such that like I just fully surrendered after that and was like, if they pick me up tomorrow, I don't care because I got to have this night out on the ice. It was this experience where I was out there and the ice was completely scoured clean to just a mirror surface from this really intense storm we had had for days and days with heavy winds and, you know, like scouring the ice with snow. Um, And the sun was going down and because the storm was just clearing, there were a lot of clouds. So the color was really intense and, the sky was just this amazing hot pink 
orange, you know, beautiful colors. And then I'm standing on this ice that is so smooth that it's reflecting the sunset back at me. So it's like I'm standing in the middle of the sunset. You know, I'm completely surrounded by sunset colors everywhere. And then the night was just so gorgeous. Once I figured out that I couldn't get through that ice, I just decided to go further out onto the lake and just revel in it. And I got further out into the ice in an area where the the pressure of the ice freezing so fast had cracked the surface of the lake. So it's all of these different pieces of ice that had all been kind of pushed up by the pressure of the cracking. And so they were all of these little pieces that were all sitting at a different angle to the sky. So each one was catching a different color. Like Superman. And and reflecting that back at me, it was, yeah, yeah, only sunset. Only like sunset. Superman ice cave, sunset time. so epically unbelievable. And then as I'm out there on the ice, the moon is rising, oh. and it's like exactly half of a moon and exactly vertical. So that's rising up over the island as this amazing, it was just the most amazing experience of my entire life. And, you know. Why I mean, didn't they show like that? You must. with beauty. Do you get to keep the footage? Well, because they want to show the drama. No, no, you don't get it. You put footage. the foot. Well, they honestly, can't... I didn't bring the cameras oh. out there. I mean, I did take footage. No, I did take footage of the moon rising, but when I went out to where there was the puzzle pieces, I left the camera set up by that hole, and I just wandered out by myself, which I wasn't really supposed to do. But it was, like, too epic and amazing. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. Um, you know, they could have showed. There was a lot of footage of it. There just wasn't the footage of the, like, me on the puzzle piece part of the ice right. um but because that's not you know they're trying to build the drama and this is the last couple of days and so they're trying to pitch this like you know battle to the end between me and jordan and um you know so just the beauty and wonder um most of my most epic moments i took great footage of but they didn't show um, I they should give i also you that had a, a moment yeah yeah they don't they don't do that um it would jeopardize their show i think is their their perspective on it so yeah those were those were i mean i could go on there are a bunch of them but um oh, more beautiful <laughs> moments no no please <laughs> what, what are your other epic like things that were i mean because that's oh, there are so many you can yeah, just pick a random one um, the, the whole place yeah okay so so one moment that was really really profound early on um I mean, the whole thing was that, like, early on when we first launched, it was, you know, we had just been having our first intense frost, um, so everything was changing. The leaves were all changing, so this super, super stark landscape, you know, a huge lake that's like a steel gray most of the time and mostly bare rock, you know, this really amazing granite and huge towering cliffs, you know, vertical cliffs, and the whole landscape is so enormous you can't even begin to wrap your mind around it so like this super stark landscape with these amazing just flame colors of fall you know and I had this moment after being out there for you know going on a couple weeks and not bringing in any food besides just a couple handfuls of berries and recognizing that rather than feeling weaker and weaker I'm feeling better and better and there was just this moment where I realized that I was shifting on a physiological level to where I was learning to be fed by beauty instead of by food. And just that, like, that all hitting me in one moment, standing on this rocky precipice, looking out over this landscape, looking out over this lake, and recognizing that even though I'm starving and I don't know how long I can keep going on starving, like, there's no place in the world I would rather be or anything I would rather be doing in that moment. And just that epic beauty 
being so profound that it just brought tears to my eyes. You know, I just like, there was no way to hold all of the emotions in my body. And it just came through in the form of tears um, and recognizing that like I could, I could live on beauty now and I could do that for a really long time and had every intention of doing so. So that was a really profound moment. Um, I had a moment where I was at my cabin working on it and heard, and heard a big kerfuffle of birds, you know, like I, I was really keyed into birds out there um, and I knew their patterns. And so I could tell that there was something unusual happening and, um, and going out to where I heard this and seeing this kind of a classic bird language moment, which was all of these birds in a shape that we call in bird language a parabola around the top of this tree and looking in the top of that tree and seeing a huge um, predatory bird up there, uh, a northern goshawk, I believe it was, which is specifically an avian predator. They're, they take out birds, and so there's something that birds really react to. So having that moment of like being keyed in enough to the landscape to think something's going on, something big is happening and then going out there and finding the source of it and getting to see this amazing bird that I've never seen before in my life. That was a really profound one. Um, I had a really profound encounter with a fox um, that was really beautiful. Um, yeah, I mean, seeing tracks, seeing wolverine tracks, you know, I'd never seen wolverine tracks, seeing lynx tracks, that was amazing, wolf tracks. I mean, all of these wildlife encounters that were creatures that I haven't had the opportunity to live in the territory of before. So, and even though the lynx tracks and the wolverine tracks were like dogging my trap line and potentially major competitors for my food, it was still so amazing to see that, that it, it felt worth it. You know? And so you never, um, it sounds like you just didn't feel alone at all. <laughs> like hmm. you were interacting so How could I? I was so surrounded deeply. by life. Yeah. That it was, yeah. It, it's like a completely different journey than other people took. Did the camera help you Apparently, feel? Apparently, which I didn't realize until watching it. Yeah, like, that, that, I had no idea how different my journey was to other journeys until I was watching the show and thinking, oh, my God, I had the time of my life. And these people are out here experiencing the exact same conditions in the exact same place and suffering so hard. Right. That was a really profound realization for me, just how I mean, I knew what a big difference attitudes made. And, and like we talked about, you know, like a lot of my preparations were strategizing routines for myself to help me stay in a place of connection and gratitude. But it wasn't until watching other journeys, you know, other folks on my same season that I really got on a deeper level how profound a difference that was. It must have, it must have killed you to watch Jordan sit there and complain and be like, oh, I'm starving with 200 pounds of moose. <laughs> Look at this. I thought that was so funny. But it I mean, my interpretation of it wasn't that he was complaining as much as that the show was choosing to ah. take those moments out of his footage okay. to make it seem like he and I were neck and neck. Right. Um, so, you know, I have enough experience in knowing how many things I filmed and the things that they chose to show of my things in a way that misrepresented my journey that I believe that that is what they were doing with, with him too. Sure. Not misrepresented, but just, you know, picking and choosing to get a certain impression. Right. To um, get the story that I they wanted. I knew that Jordan was nowhere near as poorly off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because they're, I mean, they are, it is a TV show and they are creating a story. Did you, did the camera become like a friend to you? Did you, when you were oh, absolutely so it was like yeah. it's because it, it feels like you're talking to me when I'm watching or talking to us mm -hmm. or you know the audience yeah no I was very aware of that and you know and I don't know how different the sense of isolation would have been if I didn't have that relationship with the camera I mean and again 
so much of my intention was around showing something beautiful to the world. That was a big part of my mission. And so in that way, I engaged with the audience perhaps more than other folks might have because I wanted to draw you in. I wanted, you know, I know that a lot of these shows, kind of what they do is like, look at this person and all their survivor skills. and They're such a badass, and, you know, and like put you on a pedestal. pedestal. And that, that's not what I wanted. I wanted the viewers to identify with me and see themselves out there yeah. and doing the same thing and give them that experience. And so I engaged with the camera in that way. And, and you know, to me, the camera was an audience that I was talking to. And I think that that did a lot for my, you know, mental health out there because while I knew that obviously you weren't actually there and interacting with me and it wasn't in real time, I also knew that I was going to be sharing this. And so that kept me feeling like I was still part of human community as well as the wild community out there, even though yeah. it wasn't actually true at the time. Um, and so, yeah, so you, the camera, you know, it was a mixed blessing. Obviously, it was where a lot of my time and energy went, and a lot of that felt wasted because they showed so little of my footage. But at the same time, the camera absolutely was a companion yeah. and um, kept me aware of the companionship of the whole world of humans that were out there and eventually going to be sharing this with me. And you shared a lot of really personal stuff. I was um, specifically very connected to when you were talking about the money versus not the money and what do you want to do and the self-care on those last days and you were talking about what you would do with the money and that you've made relationships you've made choices for your career and for your life that haven't included other things that you would consider like adopting and all of that whole monologue section I was just like wow I felt like oh same thing the sacrificing of femininity to to try to get ahead in a certain way and then you look back and you're in your 40s and it's like what did I do I don't have a kid anyway I don't know if that's where you're coming but that's what I felt from it like and I felt that for me I was like oh god I'm 45 I'm 45 and look at my choices and I'm not gonna have a kid and wouldn't it be great to adopt but I don't have the money to do that and like how do you share with the world and feel like you have things to share and then there are choices that you made so those aren't the opportunities that you get and etc. So I felt like really connected to that. And then also when you're talking about your mom and all that stuff and your childhood, and I know they put that into, you know, create a character for you. Um, but do you mm -hmm. feel like the character that they put out, does that, do you feel represented? Do you feel like they got you or do you feel like, well, they tried? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the things that you're referring to, yes. And it's interesting because I still was really, so there's a bunch, a bunch to say about that. One is that they really encouraged us to be really vulnerable and talk about, you know, what was true for us emotionally. And part of my choice to do that was, was that. And I think that you often see people, you know, a lot of things up for people and processing a lot of your life choices. And that was true for me too. But also it was particularly specific advice of one friend who is a friend who has done the show before. I actually have a lot of friends who have done this because those are kind of the circles that I, that I move in. And he told me, you know, like this journey is so intense that you, it's really hard to do just for yourself. And you want to find something, you know, a goal that's about someone that you love or something that you love or are really attached to, to make the journey bigger than yourself. And, 
And so that's part of what prompted that conversation was my looking to that. And certainly in terms of finances, you know, I'm a person who has chosen to live under the poverty line for most of my life because I've just always prioritized different things. I've prioritized freedom and, you know, being able to have wild adventures over financial security. And that's fine. But one of the goals that would make, you know, pushing it to get a bunch of money worth it would be something like being able to adopt because again you know I wanted a family so bad for so much of my life and have had a lot of angst around that not happening at the same time it feels representative of like my life before alone and not as much now because I had a lot of time to think about and process those choices while I was out there and recognizing that like I'm so grateful to have the life that I have and the opportunities that I've had. And had I had a family, I probably wouldn't have gone out on a loan. And <laughs> that was the most amazing experience of my entire life. And I wouldn't trade it for anything right yeah. now. And, you know, so I made those choices from the authentic place that I was in when those choices were up for me. So how would I go back and change that now? So I processed a lot of my regrets while I was out there. And so when I came back out, and saw that footage, I was thinking, that doesn't represent me. Mm. But the truth is that it did represent me at one time, just not as much anymore because things have shifted. And I would also say that I'm, I'm someone who has dealt with a lot of sorrow and angst around not having had a family, but I don't think that I am a person who really, like I'm a person with a very positive forward-thinking attitude and not someone who tends to go into like woe is me places. Right. And so I feel like, Focusing on that maybe painted me a little bit more in that light. Um, but it definitely, I mean, anyone who knows me know that, knows that it's true that, like, not having had a family has been one of my major sorrows in life. So that's accurate. The part that really bothered me that feels less accurate is when they talked about um, they, they did some, uh, some careful editing mm. to create some sentences that I didn't actually speak. Wow. And that was really frustrating. And That is really disappointing that, you know, to I've hear. Never, because you filmed yeah. so much and the, stuff. The one place that that was true, yeah. They, they had me say at one point towards the very end, I've never had enough money to eat well, and that's why I'm here. And that is, like, nauseating to Ooh. me to hear because that's not true, and I felt like it painted a very different picture of who I am. And, um, and it basically made me say that I was there for the money because I was desperate for money because I don't have enough money to eat otherwise, which is absurd. Um, and it is definitely true that I have lived on a lot less money than, you know, like well under the poverty line and that that has affected some of my food choices in terms of like being able to buy all of the healthiest organic food and whatever I want all the time. And yet the way they made it say that is like that I've been so poor that I'm starving and that that was my motivation for being on the show. And that was like a complete 180 and the furthest thing from the truth. So in that way, I felt very misrepresented. And, um, you know, I've had people write me saying, like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I hope you can afford to eat now. And oh, I'm just like, oh, God. my God. <laughs> That's awful. And, you know, I think that overall, you know, that one part. So they, they do interviews with you before you go, when you come back, and when they come and do medical checks. And sometimes they use that those audio clips and overlay it onto your time out as if it's what you're saying in the moment. Sure. And that's what happened with that clip. And it wasn't, that was, that was a moment when I like went out to the lake to sing this beautiful song of hope and joy. And instead they did this overlay of audio saying, I'm so poor me. I'm so poor. I can't afford to eat. And I'm just here so that I can afford to get a decent meal for once. And oh. um, 
I think that most people, most everyone I feel like who has written me, which is like hundreds, thousands of people, um, that part of the message is not what they can, like, I think it's clear of, like, my energy and most of the things that, like, my joy and my positivity were what came through more, and the contrast of that one sentence was, um, you know, was big enough that they don't even see that as part of my journey, it seems like, most people who write, and I hope that that's true, yeah. Um, but... That was that's a sore spot for me. That's the one major sore spot for me. And, um, and with the whole fair enough. Um, I, yeah. Kat Plank is a person. She wanted to ask a question. Um, your master's degree is in what? And uh, she says environmental science. Environmental oh, science. Sorry, I'll let you finish. Oh no! So she said mm-hmm. she's personally curious about your background. So environmental science, and it's obvious that you have mad skills that are extremely niche. Um, but how did you decide to learn those kinds of skills? And so I guess it would be when you were when you were 19, or was it when you were younger even? That you you already said at the beginning you went into a, a, a skills program, a wilderness program when you were 19. Was that when you started this journey into ancestral skills, or was it before that that you had a great interest, even like as a young child? Yeah, that's a great question. Definitely as a young child, um, I was always super fascinated, like all of my favorite books, you know, like I had a book about Ishii when I was a kid, and all of the little house books, and Laura Ingalls um, Wilder's story, and Island of the Blue Dolphins, like those were the books that I loved, and you know, Hatchet, and that kind of thing, so I was obsessed with these things as a kid, and like all of my childhood games were me as Karana on the land, like I would pick red clover blossoms, and you know, put them in a hole in the ground, because I was saving up food for the winter, you know, that was that was what I was obsessed with. But I didn't think that those things were, you know, I thought that that was from the past and not something that was available to me. So, um, so I, you know, I always did a lot of things with my hands. I was into sewing and knitting and crocheting and that kind of thing. And like the handcrafts that were available to me, but I didn't really have other avenues. Um, you know, like I grew up in a rural place, but you know, we weren't, we weren't, we grew strawberries and we grew a small garden, but you know, we weren't like harvesting wild food or anything. This wasn't in my, wasn't in my background and how I was raised up. Um, but I was always looking for that stuff. And when I was, um, I think a freshman or a sophomore, I think a sophomore in college, and I went to school for biology and environmental studies. So like a deep connection to the natural world was always a part of me. And my parents were both outdoor people. My dad was an endurance runner doing 100-mile trail runs, and my mom was a backpacker and in the Sierra Club. So I spent a lot of time hiking and, you know, out in wild places as a kid. Um, But it was when I was a sophomore in college that a friend of mine gave me a book, um, The Tracker by Tom Brown Jr., um, where he kind of talks about using these skills in his childhood um, coming into relationship with the land. And that was really inspiring to me. And so when I wanted to do a field course one summer, I specifically looked for one um, that might have some, some of those skills and found, um, found one that had instructors who had taught some ancestral skills. And so I chose the course based on that. And that's not what the focus of the course was, but it was a big focus for me because that was where my interest laid. Um, and then they told me about a skills gathering that they had been to that was all focused on ancestral skills. And so I went to that, and that was um, when I was 19. And so that was what really showed me that, in fact, this was something that was still available, that people were still doing. And then from that point on, I just threw myself into it wholeheartedly and 
definitely kind of had like fantasies about running off naked into the wilderness, you know, with just my knife and living there forevermore. And um, my first gathering was when I was introduced to buckskin clothing and that completely changed my life and became my biggest goal was to, you know, learn to tan hides and make clothing for myself. And um, so, yeah, from that point on, anytime I wasn't in school, I was, I was out in the woods by myself doing skilled stuff um, or going to gatherings whenever I could and spending summers on some land in Idaho with a bunch of folks who were teaching and practicing skills and, you know, organizing Stone Age trips and harvesting wild food and just, you know, learning as much as I could in every possible way. Um, and, you know, then I had then I had a period in my early 20s where I kind of where I was in, involved in a relationship and with my first husband, and um, that wasn't really the life that he wanted to live. And I felt like I ended up compromising a lot on how how I was living for for love, you know, for that relationship. And um, that was how I ended up in grad school. Actually, was kind of trying like not not being happy in the normal working world. And I was working, you know, interesting jobs. I was doing environmental ed and working as a naturalist in a state park and doing cool stuff. But it just wasn't me it wasn't the life that I wanted I wanted something so much more wild and rugged and um really had this period of feeling like I compromised so much of myself and lost myself and became really deeply depressed and um even suicidal we have like the um, same story it's tripping me out but keep going (laughs) wow yeah yeah it's a I think it's a common one um so yeah so I spent a lot of my 20s compromising on what I wanted to do. And then eventually um, I was in grad school when I kind of, I don't know, like came to a place where I realized that like my soul was dying and I couldn't, I couldn't do what I was doing anymore and ended up, you know, leaving my husband, quitting grad school. I, I had enough credits to get my degree, but I quit my thesis. So I ended up graduating with a non-thesis science degree, which means you can't really work in academia. You can do a lot of other things, but you're not going to ever go on to be a professor or anything um, or a researcher. But um, but I, it was pretty clear that I didn't want to anyway at that point. So yeah, so I ended up, you know, quitting grad school, leaving my husband and moving away from my like, you know, easy house outside of town and running off to Northern Ontario um, with someone that I met at a friend's wedding who was about to go out on this crazy journey and um, living up there for a while until the Canadian government kicked us out. <laughs> and from that moment on, just really absolutely devoted to living my life and not compromising on that again and living a much wilder, less conventional life. Um, but yeah, I've, I came to that through compromising and trying to, you know, quote, be normal and live a normal life for a while and just being absolutely miserable and feeling trapped and, um, yeah. And you, you gave know, up learned, the safety. Learned the hard way. You gave up the safety for your gave truth. Up the safety for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, I did yeah. the same thing. I was married for a long time and, and I left him and all, it's very, very similar story, very depressed, trying to, blah, blah, and now I do what I want. Yay! So I'm glad that you, yeah, I have and like, I think it's, it's been gratifying because, yeah. I just have a, I have a couple more questions for you because we've been going for an hour and I don't want to take up too much of your time because you're so awesome. But I mean, I, I want <laughs> to take up all of your time, but I don't, I also don't want to, you know, so finish your thing. And then I have like two more questions. Oh, I was just going to say that at the time, I think it was hard, you know, it was like quite devastating for my husband. We're still very good friends. He's a wonderful man. But, you know, I think at the time he never really believed me about why I was dissatisfied and how I said I wanted to live. Um, And, you know, because I was not doing those things. I had been compromising. So it's like, yeah, you say that. But but I think now and especially after alone now, he's like, 
okay. Yeah, I, I get it now. I get the, what you were saying all along of what you actually needed and wanted. Yeah, it makes more sense now. <laughs> 73 so it's gratifying days. in that way, but like, yeah. Uh, so have you ever thought of going back to your Arctic Peninsula, like during the summer? I would love to. Yeah, yeah, no, I love to. I mean, once once I have a little bit more space in my life, that is definitely um, a very much a goal. I intend, I intend to do so. I also intend to spend some time on that lake, places where one can actually catch fish and just <laughs> gorge on trout. <laughs> yeah, I saw those beautiful fish. Um, okay, so yeah. my last question, it might be totally inappropriate, but, and I can cut it out <laughs> of the interview if you want. Okay, the way I came to the show, because I, I'm a stand-up comedian, I watched the show mm-hmm. and I was like, I don't, I don't watch porn. It's not my thing. It's not, I'm not into it. But mm-hmm. I was watching alone <laughs> because it hits all of my triggers. Like, it's like emotional lumberjacks crying. It's like survival starving. <laughs> it's like all the Laura Ingalls Wilder stuff I love. So I made this like big long joke that I've done on stage about how it's my porn and I, I masturbate to it when I'm alone, <laughs> quote unquote, right? So my question is, That's great. when you're out there and we're at the base of humanity, was there any like sexy time, feel- did it not even enter your head at all? Or was there any like, I mean, were you so, I'm just, because I'm, I'm thinking about ancestral skills and I'm thinking about people used to live out there and babies were made Yeah, and this is a part of being human. (laughs) I mean, I was isolated the whole time. Um, But yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I don't, I I think probably differently than you experience it because to me it's my norm. You know, I think that often things that people eroticize are things that are like outside of their norm and therefore exciting. And so in that way, that, that experience wasn't, but there is definitely something about that, like that primal energy of being out on, you know, in a wild place and um, experience things in the way it's very, you know, it's very physical. It's very rooted in the body and it's, you know, the like life and death and like getting down to the nitty gritty of life. And sure there's, there's a sexual energy in there. And, uh, and yeah, no, that like towards the end where I had been starving. And just so you know, like I tend to be kind of a no hold barred kind of person. I'm, I'm pretty, um, <laughs> I'm a pretty open book, so this doesn't feel inappropriate, but um, you can edit it out if you think. That's no, no, hey, I'm fine with it. But I yeah, watched no. the whole poop. I watched the whole poop video and I was like, it's scintillated. <laughs> like, I watched right. the whole 22 yeah, minute poop yeah. video. I was like, all right. right. I mean, yeah, no, I tend to just talk about the stuff that needs talking about, so whatever. But yeah, no, I mean, I would say that, like, that uh, there wasn't, like, more sexual energy for me out there than there would be otherwise, but it wasn't absent um, until towards the end when I had been really starving for a long freaking time. Because, you know, like, starting to digest your own muscles kind of takes it out of you. Right, right. <laughs> There's actually a moment where when they were out for a medical check and uh, – I, I somehow like this happens to me where I will say something and not realize the connotation of it afterwards. But there was something where I like invited one of the people to spend the night in my cabin with me, one of the, which like obviously it was not going to happen. But like, and, and the, the film people were kind of like, "Ooh, should we like be present for this conversation?" And then I was like, "Oh, that did sound like that, didn't it?" But uh, <laughs> do you want to spend the night but, um, in my yeah, that, wilderness that was cabin? Funny. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think it was like just after I had made the bed or something. They're like, oh, yeah, that looks pretty cozy. And I'm like, heck, yeah, it is. Yeah, try it out. Um, <laughs> something like that. But I always I always laugh that everybody was like everybody turned a little bit red after that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's well, I. This has been amazing. Can you like plug Buckskin Revolution? Give us your website, your YouTube, what you, you know, how people can like do you have a book? Can have you read have you written a book yet? When's your book coming out? Like um I have I have several book projects in the works right now. Um so yeah, there's a lot that I can say about all of that. So my business is Buckskin Revolution and um you know, the mission of my business is to empower people with the skills to, you know, tend to their needs with their own two hands and from the landscape around them. And so it's about, it's about ancestral skills, and it's also about applying those skills, like having those skills, even if we don't use them, but knowing that we have them changes how we are in our daily life and comes, has us coming from a place that is uh, feeling empowered rather than feeling trapped in the system and feeling like a whole person who is actually using the the physiology that we evolved to have um and also you know just recognizing ourselves as wild creatures and with a profound relationship to the wild so having things in our daily lives whatever they might be that remind us of our connection to landscapes outside you know you might not need to go out and forage your own food every day but could you have a little you know a buckskin bag hanging on your wall where you know that it came from a wild creature and therefore it's kind of an anchor for the wild in your life even if you're living in an apartment building in the Bronx you know wherever you find yourself can you can you integrate a little bit of the wild into your life um, so, you know, connection to the landscape around us, connection to who we are on a deeper level, connection to our human community, connection to our ancestors, um, and skills for actually land-based living, you know, um, growing, storing, um, food, medicines, all of those things. So, um, and part of my mission really is to spread those as far and wide as I can, and that's why I've been focusing more on, um, you know, videos and online courses and writing recently, and I, you know, have traveled around the country teaching this stuff for the past several decades, and um, that's been a huge part of my life, and that's really rewarding to me, and I intend to keep doing it, but these days, since the bigger platform um, and the publicity of alone, a lot more people are interested in what I'm doing, so I'm trying to... Um, to branch into the video stuff to make it more accessible to people who couldn't come and do a class in person. So there's a lot of ways to be involved in what I'm doing. Um, I have an online skills gathering happening right now. Last week is going to be the last week to register for that. But that's uh, an entire, you know, week's worth of classes spread out over 10 weeks of all of the skills like we're talking about, all of the background that, um, that you know, prepares you for more time in the wild and more land-based living. Um, also, I have a Patreon membership, which is a, a crowdfunding platform, but it's a membership-based, so you're, you know, um, you're part of a team, basically the Buckskin Revolution Patreon team. So that is a huge part of allowing me to do a lot of the videos and writing, and eventually I'm hoping to be able to hire people to help me with my video editing because I can only – I'm doing everything myself right oh, now, and there's yeah. only so much I can produce, so I could get a lot more out there if I had more support um, and able to, to hire folks to support me in that. So check me out on Patreon. That is www.patreon.com backslash Wonia Buckskin Revolution. And you get all kinds of benefits for that. And it's a lot more interactive and reciprocal and, you know, exclusive content and 
you know, merchandise for certain things, your name in my books and getting to ask questions and a lot more, a lot more interaction. Um, so I really encourage people to do that. That's a huge part of what supports me right now in being able to do this stuff. Um, the mailing list on my website will get you um, in my system so that you get my newsletters, which has my teaching schedule. Um, obviously, most of my in-person teaching has been canceled um, due to COVID, but I will be getting back to that. And I also do mentoring through um, Sage FM, which is a which is a mentoring platform where folks can call in and do um, live video and phone consultations. And so that's a way to you know get one-on-one -on -one help with your skills. Um, and you know, like I can walk you through brain tanning. You can ask questions about a loan. You can ask questions about. I just had a great conversation last week about how to keep a positive attitude in the face of challenges and adversity. Um, so, yeah, I'm really trying to do what I can to make a positive impact on the world. And um, also, you know, social justice is a part of, of Buckskin Revolution and a part of the revolution. And so trying to make these skills more accessible to more people because I feel like, you know, there are a lot of people who are disenfranchised and yeah. don't have access to even just getting out into the woods and nature. So trying to do what I can to spread access in more ways so that more people you know, feel empowered and feel like they have some control over their, their lives and their choices and they're not just pawns in a system that they don't understand um, and, you know, can't control, which, like, I get because that's how I felt in my 20s when I was trying to plug into the system and it wasn't working for me. Um, You're amazing. On Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> Thank you. So, yeah, there are so many ways to be involved in what I'm doing. And, yes, I do have a couple books. My Patreon members have access to my writing before it's published. Mm. For many years, I was selling the rough draft of my book about buckskin clothing. Right now, the only way that you can get that is if you're a Patreon member. At certain levels, you get that rough draft copy of my book that's close to published but not there yet. Um, you get that for free at certain levels, or you get to buy it for a discounted rate at other levels. So, um yeah, working hard to pump a lot of good resources out there into the world so we have a society of happier, healthier, more whole, more empowered, more inspired, and inspiring people. Yay! This has been, like, <laughs> the highlight of my whole, like, I can't even tell you, this is a dream come to fruition. I never thought, you're a real person, doing real things. <laughs> of course ah. I am. Yeah. There are all, the other things we didn't get into are like your philosophies on entitlement and like feminism and stuff, but maybe another time. This has been incredible and I thank you so much for your time and I and I can't wait to see what happens next um with you and Buckskin Revolution and everything else online and everybody join the Patreon and thank you so much for talking to me on Mutiny Radio. Uh, and I I'm hope so that glad can, to. Thank you so much for asking. Yeah, I hope we can promote anything that you're doing in the future. Again, this has been like, thank you so much. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Enjoy <laughs> the sunshine. Thank you. And I thought the cat was alive. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's okay. Yeah, no problem. But, well, yeah. thanks so much for your time. And I hope to talk to you again someday thanks, soon. Sam. Have a great day. Bye. Sounds great. Yep, we'll be in touch. Yep, all right. Bye. <laughs> That that was Ronia Ronia Thabot, everyone. You can see her online on uh, on Facebook. Her fan page is uh, Ronia Dawn, and that has been an awesome interview. And I'm so proud of myself because I didn't cry. I didn't cry. All right. So call me Tim, everyone. I've been Pam Benjamin. That was Ronia Dawn.
This is MutinyRadio.fm. Hey, hit up our uh, Venmo. Mutiny Radio, all one word. Let's watch Welcome to L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. That is the name of our podcast. Search for L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. And we have a YouTube channel. It stands for Let's Watch a Full-Length Movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman and Carl. And Carl, good to see you, man. Hi, Carl. Hey, Mike. I can't exactly see you, but uh, good to Skype you. Good to Skype you, man. Good to Skype you. Carl, we have a special guest. We have Paul Brumba on the Ta-da. line. Hi, Paul. Ta-da! Great to be here, guys. Paul and I and Carl, we are all part of Mutiny Radio, and you can hear our shows first every Sunday. Just type in mutinyradio.fm into whatever, and you will get our uh, streaming service. Uh, Paul Brumba has a great, great, great podcast called the Edge of Insanity, that is on Sundays at noon. It's also available on iTunes, etc. And then we follow at 2 p.m. This is all Pacific Standard Time. Yeah. On Sundays, we do what our title says. We L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. Uh, it's so obvious. Carl, what movie are we watching today? Today we are watching Carnosaur, 1993. Carnosaur. So that's what you – Carnosaur. So you go – it's C-A-R-N – O-S-A-U-R. Okay. That's what you put in your YouTube search engine. 1993. Oh, so it's not Carne with an E. Yeah. It's not Meatsor. Right. It's and not. And it's not Coronasaur. <laughs> and it's not Coronasaur? <laughs> oh, no. Not the Coronasaur. <laughs> That's a million-dollar idea, Paul. Yes. I know. So we like the channel D-P-O-E-N. Depoen, D P O E N, yeah, Carnosaur, 1993. Roger Corman, D P O E N is the channel we like. Okay, so we want you to go find that, search for it, and when you see the link, click it, and then once you get to the page, hit pause for God's sake. Move the slider to the left, so it should be zero zero zero. Did you do that? Good. We're very excited. We're very honored. To have the countdown king himself, the maestro of descending numerals. Let's get ready to brumba. The world doesn't move on the beat of a different brum. Brum 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 brumba. Brum 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 brum. Under brumba. Will you please give it up for Paul Brumba. Yeah. Hey. 
pal. Bye. All right. Good to be here, guys. Man, I am so excited about this. Carnosaur. See, and I had it all mixed up with the other week show with uh, the Elvis flick, but we won't even talk about that. Elvis is a carnosaur. All right, cool. Here we go. <laughs> do this in true Carnosaur uh, style. <laughs> Let's do this in three. Oh, put your finger over the little triangle. Right. I almost forgot my own line. Wow. Holy smokes. Let's do this. Let's do it in three, <laughs> two, one, go. New Horizons, Roger Corman. He didn't direct this movie, right? It just yeah. it's key presents it. Yeah, Director's the Roger same Corman guy we saw last week, right? Adam Simon. Yeah. So the, wait a minute, the director of Brain Dead directed Carnosaur? Right, and he has the balls to put Brain Dead in this movie. So one of the characters watches his previously directed movie. Yeah. I mean it's not even Quentin Tarantino and he's kissing his own butt. The worst part is they're doing a movie podcast about it in real time. <laughs> it's really? my idea. Our idea. Yeah, and everyone else's idea. Oh, right. Oh, it's the start of us. Chickens. Uh-oh. Bok, bok, chickens. <laughs> Aaron Osborne is a chicken. No, these are ostriches. This is the target species chicken. Oostalike. Target species. None of these chickens. See, it says iguana. Iguana. So, yeah. So yeah. what they're doing is some genetic splicing here, and they're trying to arrive at a dinosaur. You know why they added the lizard? Because iguana add lizard to it. Mm-hmm. Iguana. Uh, e I iguana think do iguana, it. I think iguana do it. Yeah, I'll ask him, but I think iguana. Yeah. So he's, they're mutating chickens into like a super monster. Ooh, look at that blood. Albatross. That was a big problem about the project. That albatross that hung on them like something. Yeah, it hung around uh -oh, their... Oh, pelican. Oh, they're naked chickens. The Corman's... Wow. Corman's executive produced this, so this is directed by Brain Dead director. Right, Adam Ugh. Simon, the guy who the, the player, the movie The Player pokes fun at. And um, yeah, you can you tell that story again because that's a great story you had mentioned in last week's episode. Well, I mean, it's just it was part of the movie. Uh, the The player was Tim Tim Robbins, and it his Griff, he's Griffin Mill, and uh, they're shooting some movie, and he just says, "Who let Adam Simon on the line?" They're just stabbing him. Okay, here's a meeting. <laughs> Here's a meeting, and this guy wants to know uh, where Dr. Jane Tiptree is because she's gone missing. Ah, she has, huh? Dr. Jane Tiptree. They call her Tree. It's a pager. Dr. Jane Tiptree. Well, you. Oh, see, we tried everything. The, um, There's no response. <laughs> we. Yeah, right. Did you page her? It's. It's yes, it's nineteen ninety three. Of course we paged her. We paged her, we faxed her, we sent a telegram. What else can we do? 
Now, Coke you remember the, table. the Eunice Corporation from last movie? Um, Certainly. They were doing a lot of brain-dead experimentation right. uh, on a serial killer or something. And it had an infinity hacker. symbol, like the sideways eight? Yeah, he made a big deal out of that. I was, uh, yes, the infinity. Did it show up at Carnosaur? Well, yes. As a matter of fact, right now, the guy from Eunice Corporation corporation is saying yeah we got dr chain tip tree uh we see it says eunice on the camera yeah look at there it is it's, it's a, gonna say so eunice this is part of the everything so this is part of the adam simon verse yes okay diane lad she is dr jane tip tree it says it right there carl she's working in secret for Eunice, and she has to have total seclusion, and they're not allowed to know what she's working on for three years, or they lose the rights yeah. of their patents. So five bucks says she never leaves this set. Five bucks? I have not seen that vet. Oh, you did. And how many times have you seen Carter for? I've seen it four times. This is my fifth time. Oh, dear Lord. Dear Lord. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay, well, it was great having you, Carl. Let's just stop. <laughs> I think this is an elaborate prank. I just wanted you to watch Carter surf in five times. Da 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 da. Check you. Uh, we just came in to clean up. <laughs> Diane oh, no, they're on TV. Five days on this film. Five days, and she was right there in that uh, set the whole time. And she's top villain. And, and she's, you know, I, full disclosure, I did see this movie in the theater in 1993. Wow. Uh, and she was the best part in it. Okay. Well, you know, uh, one of the things we should mention is that Corman is the master of... Uh, just ripping off the current movies. And this came out the same weekend as Jurassic Park, which uh, gave him enough free publicity. It well, was look, theatrically released, and I right. saw it. Yeah. I just want to say that the guy who I did... I saw it in Brookline. Too, the guy who did Cars Life 2, he's the master. He's the master. But uh, Roger... You're right. Car no, I take that back. In Go ahead and tell them. You tell everybody, like, here. Jurassic Park was coming out. Yeah, so Jurassic Park was coming out, and his idea was to release a, a killer dinosaur movie of his own, Carnosaur, and it played at the Brookline, in Brookline, Massachusetts, there's a movie house, like an art house, and they showed it, and everyone, including myself, lined up because here's a chance to see a Roger Corman movie in 1993 in the theater, and we were really excited, it was the new Corman. Uh, and this was before he, he was cranking out sci-fi movies and he had other mediums to deliver his films, but uh, the movie was terrible. I mean, I, I, at least from what I remember, it was an awful experience, but we experienced it together. Right. You remember right. Oh, you know, traditionally on this show, we I asked you at the end of the movie, did you like this movie? But I, I'm going to cut all pretensions and just ask you in the first 10 minutes of our watching, what uh, did you think of the film? No, I did not. Uh, this was not well done. No. All right. Okay. So WordPress, because I have seen this, and I, I agree, this is really not well done. So we'll There's see why uh, like as it. the film goes on. 
there's reasons to like it and it's good on your show, but it's just not enough to be like, I mean, I wouldn't watch it a sixth time. <laughs> what about the sequels? Are you going to see Carnosaur 2 or Carnosaur 3? Nope. You're right about that. There was Carnosaur 2 and Carnosaur 3, and then there were two spinoffs. They just didn't call them Carnosaur. One was called Raptor and one was called The Eden Formula. So that makes five films off of thanks to Jurassic Park was going to one day come out. Wow. <laughs> That's a nut. Yeah. Uh, you know, this plant looks pretty foul. <laughs> okay. Some, poultry plant. Something is missing, you see, and Jane Tiptree wants it back. And so they're saying nobody is in and out of the place. So the driver goes, come on, bud. I got to be in such and such in five hours and I'm late, you know. So he let him out. So in the back of this chicken truck is something mysterious. Uh, does it rhyme with dinosaur? <laughs> it does rhyme with dinosaur, yes. Actually, Vitasaur and Carnosaur, that's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. yeah. I always thought this was his Carnosaur, like it was made out of meat. Yeah, it's, he's a know, carnivore. Carnosaur. Yeah. Carnosaur. Oh. But, he, so, but the, he doesn't eat plants then, right? He's not an omnivore. Omnisaur. No, he's not an omnivore, no. Omnisaur. Um, I'm starting an all-plant-based diet. Mike, did I tell you about that? No, Carl, you didn't tell me about your all-plant diet. Yeah, I mean, diet. Well, by all-plant-based, I mean only foods that have been manufactured in a food processing plant. Awesome. <laughs> like mac and cheese, crap yeah. mac and cheese. Oh, yeah, sure, but of course, but uh, but but no, especially Funyuns. Funyuns are the shit, yo. <laughs> they're, all, they're all natural. I mean, they're not made out of, like imaginary stuff no they're made out of fun yeah okay so what's happened is what's escaped from jane tiptree's lab uh has now killed it killed chickens and then it killed the chicken driver now here's brain dead really he looks cool man he looks like arnold i thought that was arnold schwarzenegger for a second yeah right uh, oh be drinking beer Oh, he's not even drinking beer. He's going for the hard stuff. No, that's a beer. He says, better a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. A bottle. Oh, boy. Aaron Simon, he, he fucking got the continuity going. That's a reference to his previous film, where he got a lobotomy, or he gave a lobotomy. He gave, gave a lobotomy. Okay, now, this guy's job is to protect all the heavy equipment on this mountain where they're strip mining, and the hippy-dippy guys uh -huh. are, like, fucking with them because they don't like the big corporation. And that's why he's shooting at them? Right. Seems extreme. Well, it's keeping them away can't, from like, wait. the site, you know. Yeah. He could wave like a, a stick at him. Dang hippies. Now, this. Uh oh, no, he's a killdozer. <laughs> That's right. Good one, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> that was a switch. Let's, uh, let's hope he. Oh, phew. 
Oh no, it's the Killdozer soundtrack. Blip, 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 blip. Boing, boing, blip, 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 boing, 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 Knuckles was a dog, was a very fine dog. Remember Whoa. how they all looked the same? Like they got one actor to save money? Jesus Christ, that was the second time I did extensive research, and I just couldn't tell any of those guys apart. <laughs> See how it's just... four people in that movie. You know, on a, on a heavy loader? Yeah. Okay, he's found a prisoner. And she's Whoa. Oh. Whoa. Kelly Kristen. It's uh, Jennifer Runyon. Good day, Monet. And she was in Ghostbusters. Jennifer Runyon? Do you remember they were doing that task? The, uh... Yeah. Like, what? A couple she of weeks lines? Like, what do I have on the card? She was. Well, the, right. Yeah, the flirt, flirt bait for uh, Bill Murray. That's a memorable scene. Yeah. But that was like 11 years prior to this. That was 84. I, so nine years. 84, yeah. And then she was on Charles in Charge from 84 to 87 as... Um, well, why, way to bury the lead, Carl. Way to bury the lead. Of course I know who she is. She's from <laughs> Charles in Charge, the first family. And she was Cindy Brady in A Very Brady Christmas, 1988. This is her last thing she ever did on camera. She she quit after this. Wow. Well, let's uh, be grateful that she's in this movie then. Yes. Very Brady Christmas. Yeah, Jennifer Funyon. <laughs> Funyon's already. Did she, she play Marsha? Did she replace somebody? Did Funyon replace somebody? No. Heir to the heiress to the Funyon. As you know from reading uh, Hollywood Dogs That Drink, Cindy. Yes, had they had a tiger for Brady Bunch. Right. Cindy was a, you know, Cindy fell into ruin after the Brady Bunch, and she tried to sleep with, what's that dog's name? Tiger. Tiger. Yeah, remember she was, like, yanking on his pocket rocket. It's in the book. Uh, so they needed somebody to be Cindy because Cindy was <laughs> now nowhere to be found, and that was Jennifer Runyon. Interesting. Now, this is the coroner. Wow, that's a claim to fame. It is. Yeah. And I don't know why she went away. Her name is Thrush in this film. Like, it's their hippie name. Her oh. name is Anne. And this guy is a professional coroner who doesn't wear goggles or masks when cutting out shit. Good, <laughs> good to know. Right, his mask is down. Even, Yeah, even Quincy puts up, ties his fucking mask up. Right. You know, every time they go to a corner in any movie. It's never got blood on it. Medical exam. No blood on it. Yeah, look, I'm going to use it. I don't have time to take my glove off, so I'll just use the rotary phone now. <laughs> yeah, and spread the germ. Nine, eight, here. Now, you know, my favorite part of medical examiners in movies, they're always eating a sandwich when they show up. <laughs> what do you got? Well, you know, right? Because it wants to show that they're so used to gore. Yeah, right. They don't even care. And they also don't mind when, like, Dirty Harry shows up. Oh, Harry, hey, way to break up the monotony of my day. I just went through two corpses. Yeah, of course I'll talk about this body. 
Now, the guy who wrote a book called Carnosaur was approached to write the screenplay in 1991 uh, by Corman's wife, Julie, but they didn't do anything with it until Jurassic Park. He bought the rights to this in 91, but it just sat around, and then when, when Jurassic Park was coming out, okay, there was this guy, Mike Elliott, he's the co-producer, and he, and he says that Corman was like, now's the time to shoot because... He, you know, he knew he could make the movie faster than anyone else and get it out there, and he could he could eat the hype of Jurassic Park. Well, because Jurassic Park was hype to begin with. Yeah. I, I remember, uh, you know, my late father was a, a, a entertainment journalist and he did some book reviews, and he would get some press copies, mm-hmm. and we received like a, an advanced copy of it, and it was like a hot item. You know what I mean? Like. Even before the publication, everybody knew that Michael Crichton had cranked out like a mega yeah. movie, uh, mega, you know. Because it was so it was a, it was very hot property. Yeah, and it was it was already optioned by the time it hit hardcover, uh, the first initial release. It was already optioned to be a movie. Yeah. So now you know, this book, Carnosaur, uh, predates Jurassic Park by six years. It was written six years earlier mm. than Michael Crichton's book. Do you think Crichton ripped him off? No. <laughs> like he did like he did the previous book, My Wife's in a Coma? Oh, what great. a great idea. <laughs> no, wasn't it like a, Michael Crichton did a, he's a weird guy, like pop culture-wise, because not yeah. only is he like a popular, famous novelist, but he wrote and directed his own movies, Westworld and Coma. Oh. And he was like a mega movie director for, for Streak. Andronica so Stream is that Westworld? I'm I'm gonna say yeah. That's intense. I, I just got to tell you what happened. The doc, this sure. guy was a doctor, but he he's he's a drunk, so now he's just guards uh, the you know the heavy equipment. But the girl ran away because he passed out drunk, right? So the cop right. took him and said. Do you see the girl here? Now, clearly he did see the girl, but he lied and said, nah, she isn't here. So now Charles in Charge girl, Jennifer Funyon, has got a crush on the doc, is grateful to the doc. Oh, well, that's good. Oh, so this starts their bond. That's right. This starts their bond, which will grow throughout the film. Here we are doing the work of the heavy loader place. Okay, so yeah, Doc is cool of course drunk stuff. again, and Funyun shows up mm-hmm. to say thanks. Yeah, thanks for nothing. Mm-hmm. Michael Crichton did direct uh, Westworld. Wow, I was I was correct. I loved that. Yeah, he was like an unstoppable force. Yeah, the first one's good. And then, you know, the future world was shot in my university, I believe. Bra- uh, Brad Knight says he was... Yeah, they had an auditorium that was so future-like. It Where'd appeared in... Brandeis. Brandeis, that's... I went to school at Brand... Yeah, right. Brandeis. You know how, like, you buy brand name rice? Brandeis. <laughs> Michael but took a chance they on had an, uh, and rolled the Brandeis. <laughs> yeah, snake eyes. So, the, you know, like, uh, 
is their grad what are their grad auditorium is like futuristic looking and they use it for the movie and it's like whoa look at Peter Fonda he's in the future yeah so wait future world now I saw Westworld uh, right, I better write one that with down Will Brenner future world's the sequel well there was like a TV show in 1980 called Beyond Westworld yeah like it had a life of its own like it, the HBO show which I enjoy wasn't the only uh, Westworld TV show. Okay. Future World sounds very familiar, but... You know what it was? Like, Westworld was big, and then there was a porno called Sex World. Really? Which I haven't seen. And then there was a, a sequel to Westworld, theatrical release, called Future World. And then there was Beyond Westworld. Okay, Beyond Westworld, yeah, World. which was I... TV, a movie also? No, it was five episodes. Well, it was, uh, I think it was, an, it was a 1980 TV series. I just know of it because I know the uh, okay. Westworld universe, but I haven't seen it. I'm sure it's on the YouTube. Future World? Or you type it in the streaming services. Okay. Beyond Future uh No, Future World is the sequel. Yeah, yeah. And Beyond, then Beyond Westworld. Westworld, that's it. So Bronson, who wrote kind of this the book, panel? he didn't like this yeah. He didn't like it at all, this adaptation. In order to do things cheaply, they w Bronson's book had a lot of dinosaurs. This one only has two dinosaurs. Right. Uh, uh, Gertie the dinosaur from Windsor McKay's cartoons. Right. And, Barney. And, and Barney. And Barney. And Barney the dinosaur. Yeah. For the two decades, uh, two centuries. All right, now Barney is getting pissed, and he, oh, there goes Barney attacks. Oh no, and Barney vision. What a 90s attack. It looks like an ad for. <laughs> oh my god, he's covered in fudge. He's wiping fudge all over everything. Oh no, the car starts ripping into her guts. Way yeah. to go. Edie, yeah. Now Simon, that was a hand. Sure there's so many cuts. And Puppet? Really? For real? Yeah, they did a lot of... Uh, they did a remote-controlled puppet. They did a man in a suit. They did a, a full-size, like, 16-foot-tall robot. They did a lot of different things to make... There it is. Yeah. But that was the hand puppet right now. That Well, I don't know what that particular shot was, but... Anytime the dinosaur's up close and doing like a eating thing, it's it's the hand puppet. What kind of how tall is the gentleman that was in the dinosaur suit? I mean, that was like a baby dinosaur. Uh, yes, that's right. Because this is early in the film, and the thing is growing. Mm. You see the the I was trying to tell you about the car uh, the car coroner, um, like. He isn't sure what did it because the thing it was like um, like maybe the size of a bobcat, but it but it sort of looks like lizard bites. It, you know he so later on he'll be like this is the same thing, but the bites are much bigger. He, that'll keep occurring, and he's like, hold me, either there's more than one or this thing is growing. <laughs> Okay, well, so what do you think it is? You've seen this movie. It's, yeah. It's growing. <laughs> so Eunice Corporation is now learning that they found a genetic marker in 
you know, people who are getting killed. Uh, and it's... Did it say Office Depot marker? That's pretty generic. <laughs> it was universal product symbol. Um, <laughs> and so if it's true, that means a chicken is killing people. Cut to a guy eating chicken on the road. Right, and he's saying, you should have some. It's good for your health. Look, that's the guy in the suit. Ah, uh, right. Is the other guy Seth Green? Oh, that's the guy in the suit, really? Yeah, and there's Funyun walking home. Crunch. She and went to say because she's in a bright orange bag. But they fought. They fought about environmentalism. So she's walking. So she's out of here. Yeah. She's all pissed. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Right. Well, she's Cindy now, not Jan. But just for Christmas, and it was a very Brady Christmas because he was. It was uh, 1988. Yeah, just before. Ah, uh, that's way. That's long in the tooth, Brady Bunch special. Yes, exactly. You know, that they, was the they, nostalgia. They, yeah, and the thing is, like, they still crank it out. There was the HGTV show where they bought the Brady's exterior house. Mm-hmm. And then they had the cast of the original cast of Brady Bunch come in, and they re- redid it to resemble the house. That's the so set. like them to do that because they listen. Th- that movie was that television show was popular, and when it when it was in syndication and on at like five o'clock every day, it turned into nostalgia for it. Right? They cashed in on that every chance they could. Right. No, sure. Well, a very Brady sequel in the uh, the first Brady Bunch movie from the nineties. They're both great. Yeah. Do you remember the stupid parody yeah, they... movie? It which was, one? It was like two thousand. The Brady's. Remember the guy goes. Yeah, I think we're this thinking is of... a car jack, and he goes, "Well, of course it's a car, right. but my name's not Jack. My it's name's Greg. Greg Brady." Sure, I thought. I thought that came out. I, that's the movie I'm talking about. Uh, but I think that came out in the nineties. Hmm. So I that's possible. I do know. Yeah. Yeah, I think so because you, you I was talking about the PSENG. Yeah, you're my. Yeah, I think you're right. I'll look it up. Now they're yeah. finding a dead guy by the road. Of course, he was eaten by a carnosaur. Well, yeah. You could you could tell because there's like carnosaur chomps everywhere on his body. <laughs> carnosaur chomps. They, they tip. <laughs> the carnosaur tip ten percent, which you know they're lousy tippers when they eat. They're lousy tippers, those carnosaur. So John Bronson was in 1984 was doing a like book signing tour, and Roger Corman was like, "Hmm, what's this?" That's when he took notice of him, and then his wife Julie, you know, his. Roger Corman said, sick him. And she like made a deal <laughs> on a, at a bar written on a napkin. Wow. That's classic. In 91. Yeah. And that's what Diane Ladd read. Did they, what about the script? Do they use actual paper for the script or they just no. put the napkins? Right. They used the napkins. <laughs> wow. A concert is ate the shit out of it. Oh, that's the puppet. Uh, I didn't pay attention to tell you, but if it's up close and like chewing out guts, it's the puppet with someone's hand up. His gotcha. Head. 
I love the font. It reminds me of like unskippable game scenes. Like, come on, I want to get to the action. <laughs> so he's telling the senator that this is the best blueberry pie he's ever tasted because it's like got a thin layer of goat embryo protecting it. And then the senator's like, blech, gross. Yeah. Might as well say I, I left semen, my semen in the pie, Senator. <laughs> Blah. I think we're. I think I'm a couple of seconds behind you, but that's okay. I'll live. It's because Paul does the countdown. He goes three, two, one. Then he goes whatever the fuck. You know he he doesn't right. He's got you in a rhythm. Three, two, one, and then you click. But no, he goes go go go. Like you know he always does that. Why does he's the countdown king? So he gets everybody. He is the countdown off, king. He's the you know maestro I mean? descending numerals. Yeah. Yep. Well, you know he is the maestro descending numerals, but the saying the word "go" he's a little wonky on it. So the thing is, Mike, how many times have you and I right? We get go. We should be a hundred percent synced, and you know, like that doesn't happen when it's the uh, Brumbot, right? Oh well, I don't know about that. I'm not gonna about to. I'm not gonna pit human robot against human don't worry he's not going to listen to this show okay so we're back to jane tiptree um diane yes, I, I see it it says this what's, what's your latitude uh and what's your latitude and, and longitude well it where wherever this lab key. is that's her all the only place she's gonna okay now we find out that right. she's a son of a bitch she's got the guy who let the dinosaur go and she's like right. kidnapped his daughter, and now he's a prisoner. How, how does he kidnap the daughter without leaving the lab? I don't know. And then she's like making him feel terrible. See, she's like, "Yes, feel angry. Allow yourself to feel that." She's being such an a-hole, <laughs> and she lies that the daughter's alive, and then. He has a dinosaur eat this guy. <laughs> so uh, let me get this straight, Carl, because you have seen this movie five times. Yes. She says, how did your carelessness cause dinosaurs to eat people? And that is cardinal sin. So right. I'm going to have a dinosaur eat you. Right. That's right. I'm going to kidnap your daughter to get you here. I'm going to well, lie to you about her health and well-being. And then I'm going to have a dino eat you. See, that's just like, why can't you just have the dino eat you? Why do you have to kidnap the daughter? Like, what are you going to do? Like, okay, uh, there's no ransom money because your father has been eaten by a carnosaur. <laughs> Eunice Corporation. Look, uh, he's in like a... Uh, yeah. Is it a super collider? Yeah, you think they shot that in a super collider? This I would doubt it. You can it. see a scientist in the background going. You can see a scientist in the background going, listen, Julie, we're just doing this for the money. <laughs> yeah, we took Corman's money. But they were in and out in two hours. Oh, my name is Adam Simon. I've directed Diane Ladd. Oh, well, come on in. Please. St. Peter opens the doors for you. Well, he also. Uh, oh, 
He wrote this script called Bones. It was a Snoop Dogg vehicle. Uh, he did The Haunting in Connecticut in 2009. Oh, oh yeah, I remember that movie. <laughs> okay, he created and oh, produced that was the scariest the TV. He created and produced the TV series Salem, 2014 to 2017. That's pretty good. I get yeah, I remember that. I I do know that Haunting in Connecticut is probably the scariest tri-state movie I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I I wanted to say that I tried to state it. I try I try state. I tried to I try. You try to, I try. You can. Yeah, you know what's funny? Connecticut thinks Connecticut. it's New England. Isn't that funny? No, it's tri-state. I know it's in two, it's in both New England and Lucky them. They think they're New England. So you get, really they get two kinds of. Com- well, if you still watch uh, terrestrial TV on in Connecticut, you get two kinds of ads: one aimed for the tri-state and one aimed right. for the New England. New England. They think the Patriots represent them. As soon as you yeah. drive into well, Connecticut, as as- right? It's like a border town. You drive uh-huh. in there, you start seeing all these old-timey uh, uh, New England. Style architecture. <laughs> it, it's Everyone's nice. drinking boxy cola. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like weird potato chips. Like this, these aren't wise. Where's the right. wise potato chips? Yeah. Oh, you're in Connecticut now. Cape Cod can potato we have... chips. Because we're so it's, it's old like mother trying to say like, see, see, you've arrived. Yup. Uh huh. You're here, New England. No, 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 Connecticut. You're a border town. Well, I always thought it was like in New Jersey, you could say, well, there's northern New Jersey and there's southern New Jersey. Right. But is there like something in Connecticut that's like half tri-state the state and then half New England the state? Good question. I wouldn't know. Good, good question. Ah. Look, Ron Howard's uh, brother, Gentle Ben. Quinn. Uh, Star Trek reference. That is our Star Trek reference. Remember when he was four years old? Ooh, and that chili was in Next Generation. <laughs> His name is Fryer in this. Oh, by the way, everyone's been sneezing. Like everybody has a cold. That'll play into the. That'll play into the plot. Yeah. But not in a good way, I take it. You remember Gentle Ben? You're just a. I'm just a little older than you. You probably miss Gentle Ben. Yeah, I mean, there were repeats, but I don't think I, I watched it as heavily as I did, say, The Brady Bunch. Yeah. Well, duh. No, but Gentle Ben was when I was just old enough to, like, realize TV was a thing. Like, I'm just a little – I think I'm two years older than you. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. Maybe a year and a half. When are you born? 68? Late 68. Late 68, and I'm early so October. 66. So, yeah, it's less. Hey, look, it's the producer and his wife in the movie. <laughs> That's right. It's not. But it's just some goof. Uh, okay, so you probably know He's him. From, uh, he was in uh, Apollo 13. Uh, yeah, we, we, we've thought every time – he's in every one of his brother's movies right. for the most part. And he's, Austin Powers. he's like the ice cream man. Yeah. Yeah, he's in Austin Powers. Well, he only does a cameo. He'll remember at the end of the Austin Powers movies that like they it sounds like they're gonna say penis or dick, and then, right. then they cut to someone else saying something else. Yeah. 
That was his bit. Yeah, he would say, according to the radar, it looks like the rocket ship's going straight up there. Arsenal. We need more arsenal. Okay, so they chained themselves. This is the robot. They chained themselves to the um, heavy equipment. And Doc said, you know what? Forget it. There's something. Look, he goes, yeah, hey, my green friend. <laughs> now, look, this guy's name, oh, yeah. his name is Pizza. His name is Pizza. I'll say. Yeah. Looks like uh, not delivery. Robot. Oh, no. Yeah. Watch his face. Oh. Pizza! Yeah, it looks like Roadkill. Yeah, pizza. Looks like pizza. Marinara. Okay, so now the girl, it ladies, like gonna a... get it. Now, you will see an, somebody tugging her fuck? foot. You'll see his hand on camera. Okay. Right? All right. Not yet, not well, yet. Now, you should see his hand, a hand, see? Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Total perv. Look now, at that, upskirt. When she loses her leg, she's like, okay, he's, he's busy uh, eating my oh, leg. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, you know, I get kind of, look at him, he's picking his teeth with it. Yeah, I'm looking like a stogie. Should, hey, Carl, do you want to pause or something? Because I'm a couple of seconds behind you, but I, I mean, normally I am anyway. Yeah, okay, so uh, I'm at 05, 06, 07, 08, 09. What okay. about you? I'm at 06 right now. Okay, so I want you to keep going, and you tell me when you get to 20, okay? Okay, sounds good. To I'm going to get there in when you three. Get to 21. Okay, 21. Okay, that sucks. All right. That was not counting. Where are you now? <laughs> well, you, you said 21, but it was at 20. I, uh, you know. Okay, so I'm at 32, 33, 34, 35. What about you? Okay, we're at the, we're queued up. We're good. Oh, we're good. good. Okay. We got the bridge. He's coughing. He's passing by a pukey body, but he didn't puke. That's pizza. So he's upset because they're all dead. And you know what that means. That means girl's dead. But now he finds her. She isn't. Oh, no. She's our hero. She, she gets the same kind of abuse that everyone else does because she doesn't drop dead instantly. Well, you see that usually these like, two are it? fighting, right? So now, you know, now it's being shown his real feelings. He really likes her. So this is the coroner talking to the cop about the bites getting bigger. Oh, huh, I wonder if they could figure this out. Quincy. Maybe. So wait, is Carnosaur growing, like, exponentially? Like, yeah. Just the same animal. Fast growth. Wow, this acting is pretty wooden. Oh, that's the corpse, sorry. He's the corpse. <laughs> Good one. It's a dinosaur bite. Don't worry, I'm a professional. I worked at Jurassic Park. I've seen this before. <laughs> now, the body count in this is only 32. I think that's pretty low. That's pretty fucking high. 
it's good. Like usually these movies, you know, the Carnosaur just shows up randomly and then eats one or two, but they've already he's already eaten a good number of people. Okay. I think he I don't know. All right. Thirty two is you think thirty two is a fair body count. I uh, yes, sir. I think it's a it's more than generous body count. Oh, by the way, Rod, Roger Ebert said this was the worst movie of ninety three. Well, I'm going to agree with Mr. Ebert for once. Yeah, and of course it's that asshole fiscal, just to be different, was like, I liked it! Get out. How can you like this? Right. Now, I mean, really, we've already tipped our hat. We hate this movie, but I mean, how can you, like... So, what she's doing now is finding his drawings and stuff and being like, Maybe he's not such a bad guy, but then she finds like this bloody stuff. Was... I thought she was like, he did have etchings back in his bedroom. It wasn't bullshit. Uh oh. Wow. Press the X button. Now that was enough to get rid of Carnosaur. Carnosaur was like, all right, fuck it then. I'll, I can eat plenty of people. I don't need to get shot at. Yeah, hey man. I'm not bullet sore. I eat meat. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Why would you feed me bullets? That looks like a reason. Not again. No. Why did I let that carnosaur escape? This guy's name is Raphael Sabarge, and it's S B A R G E. Sabarge. No I vowel. Saw that. Yeah, like sub. Well, what's the name of that chain in the East Coast? Sabarge. Oh right. Uh, the is that's a hot dog. Uh... SB, you're right, you're right. That was a, remember, I think the Fat Boys went in there and cut screws. When they're all you can eat. When they eat, they go to Nathan's in New York, in Times Square, and eat, and eat the wallpaper. I didn't see it on purpose. Uh, okay, now. Especially if it was on YouTube, we were watching it. He's pretending to be a guy who's bringing back to Jane the, the dinosaur. Okay, Jane Tiptree. But right. really, it's it's Doc. He wants to know what's going on. Now, this part of once again, we're in Biodome. We're in Biodome. Oh, wait a minute. So we watched uh, his last movie was also shot in the same location as the right. movie Biodome. Right. Well, he works cheap. I mean, then again, this is a Corman movie, as was the last one. So they, you know, he may not have a say in it. They may say, "Look, we got biodome it's available." It's a water like, recreation yeah, okay, great. plant, and they they rent the place out a lot of times for a lot of movies. The fugitive. Uh, the list isn't in front of me. I did read it to you last time. I know it's biodome, and uh, there was Star Trek episodes shot there. Um. I forget now. But the thing is, it's nonsensical. What he does, he wants to understand what's going on. So he holds her at gunpoint, goes into her lab, and that's it. He's here for the rest of the film, and basically they have a long conversation. It doesn't make any sense. Really? Yeah, well, then, I mean, I remember something happening to Diane Ladd, which we'll have to wait to see, but... You don't it happens in the uh, lab, right? 
<laughs> We've been so good. Bracket. We haven't ruined the ending of this movie. All right, well, we are 45 minutes. Let's go ahead. Go ahead and ruin it, because I want to make sure our listeners listen to the entirety of the movie, and they might abandon us before the end of this. Well, I want to say she'll give birth to a dinosaur, but she won't give birth to it. It'll pop out of her stomach. And it was on purpose. It was of her own design. It's her fiendish plot. There's eggs right there. It's kind of foreshadowing. So she got herself impregnated with carnosaur, and she gave birth by dropping a carnosaur egg, and then the carnosaur popped out of it. She got everybody pregnant. She got them sick with a virus, and that virus somehow made a dinosaur grow in every woman. And every woman will give birth to a dinosaur and die. Including this woman. Yeah. She's the guy's hugging his pregnant wife. That's Holy shit, what a fucking movie. So come for the Jurassic Park ripoff and stay for the forced impregnation of dinosaur baby eggs. Right, through, spread through a contagion virus. Uh, it's to the virus to movie. Human race and bring dinosaurs back. That's what Jane Tiptree wants this, to do. This movie, holy fuck! That's the actual plot of this movie. Yeah, that is so depressing. I'm so bummed out by that. She's saying right now, I I'm sick too. I have a fever, and he's like, "Go lay down. I'll make my own breakfast." Give me that. <laughs> now he's, he's gonna good, make. He's a good husband. But something weird's gonna happen. Uh-oh. Yeah, I don't want to see this. It's gonna be all bloody and shit, right? Or there's gonna be a dino baby in there. That's well. Yeah. Here's the first one. All right, here we go. Oh, come on, do three eggs, man. You know you want to eat a hearty breakfast. You're a big boy. One egg. Oh. What the? And it smells. It smells, too. Oh, good thing it has another bowl behind there. Yep. Got plenty. Where's that pile of clean bowls? Oh, by the sink. Ew. Oh, I'm glad we synced up for this. What? Oh, careful, you! Oh! oh! Klutz? That's Klutz. Oh, no, gross. I'm going to pukey. Now, I would expect Roger Corman to have it bite his finger, right? That makes sense. Right. Doesn't happen. Hi, I'm looking for my brother. Yeah. Brother, are you in here? <laughs> he's like, what oh, the boy. heck is he's oh, chicken? He just had a big meal, yeah. remember? I think it's kind of tacky to eat chicken in a fried chicken in a slaughterhouse. <laughs> remember that show, Louie? He was like, chickens are dumb. Aren't they a little leery? We think they'd be a little leery of us by now, but no, they're just. <laughs> there's never any protest. You never see like a. Martin Luther Chicken. Oh, no. Bye-bye, Clint. Bye-bye, Clint, who is an avid golfer but can't be a golfer anymore. Um, He had a hip replacement, and he had to quit. Was it because Carnosaur bit his head off? No, it bit his hip off. He used to play 150 rounds a year, he brags. That's every other day. Oh, well, who can blame him? I mean, 
he's been in the industry for so long. He must have a certain routine down. He's got a lot of time free to play golf. He also has a lot of free time because he plays World of Warcraft. Um, really? Well, well, that's great. He doesn't have to pay for skins to look like himself. Well, he does have that. Um, he is known for his activity in the World of Warcraft game. Howard plays a game, the game under the name Extas, E-X-T-A-S, on the Herod Classic Realm. How cool is that? He must have been doing that for a while. Yeah. The thing is, if you're a Hollywood guy, you you know, you go do uh, My Name is Earl episode, and then you're off for the rest of the day, you know? Right, yeah, yeah. They need you for a day shoot for Pumpkinhead 4, and then you, you got the rest of the afternoon. Now he brings it to the coroner, which I guess makes sense. Right, there's only four actors in this movie. Is he in a body bag? Oh, no, no, no. No, she's just sick, and so she's bundled up. He's just checking on his patients now. Everybody's sick. There's nothing he can do but have them sit around. There's no cure. So is it the coronavirus? Yeah, carnosaurus virus. Oh, did you say carnosaur? No, I said coronavirus. This is a mock wow, buster. This is pickle. called a mock buster. Ooh. Wow, so all these women are mock they know they're pregnant? Park, right? Yeah. This is like the sick room. So this is like, a, oh, this guy's a good dude. This film made about a million bucks. They spent 850000 to make it, and it made $1.8 million. So just under a million dollars they made. Uh, that's why Roger Corman does it. Well, you, you know, like it did have a theatrical release. They did have the hype about going against Jurassic Park, but in reality, yes. they were playing like in the Brookline in these little small art house theaters, you know, like your little hipster theaters. So it wasn't like it was playing at the AMC. No, no, no. Okay, so... The assistant says, "Doc, you know, Doctor Tip, uh, Doctor Tip Tree, can I go home? I feel sick." She goes, "Yes, but come down here first. I want to examine you." And now Doc, who got her at gunpoint, right, is just sort of hanging out in the lab now. Right. He's not even, you yeah, know. Yeah. Like, He put his gun away, right? I guess so. Like, he got himself down there under gunpoint, and then he didn't do anything <laughs> with her. And now it's business as usual for her. Yeah. I know, it's really weird. Well, I, I'm sure, like, they just edited whatever scenes they had with her just to get this movie out. <coughs> like, it's probably not Diane. Diane Ladd, man, she's been in some good movies. And her, she's the mother of uh, uh, Laura Dern, right? Right, she's the mother of Laura Dern, and so everybody thinks that that's why she got the part. Uh, she won Academy Award for Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, 74. She won a Golden Globe yeah, for great movie. the TV show Alice, you know, in between 80 and 81. Um, 
She received Emmy Award nominations for Wild at Heart, Rambling Rose. She was in Chinatown, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Ghosts of Mississippi, Primary Colors, 28 Days. And she's the mother of Laura Dern and the ex-husband, her ex-husband is Bruce Dern. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're all great actors. I love Laura Dern. Fucking, I don't know if you ever saw that movie where uh, uh, Matt Damon goes small, downsizing, right. turns into a little small guy. Yeah. He's fucking amazing in that movie. And then uh, he's good in uh, Big Little Eyes. I like everything Laura Dern does. And I, like, I like Diane Ladd, and I like Bruce Dern. He's so active. Okay, now, Uh-oh. she was it's sick. A girl, dinosaur. She died, and now look what came out. Right, I'll take that. Husband's like, what the fuck just happened? Is it the husband? No, that's the... No, that's that guy. Look how calm he is. She was sick. She wasn't even pregnant. She just gave birth to a thing. Look at the yeah. mist coming out of the lab. See? Why is that? Weird. It it's just movies. Oh, look at Welcome to my museum of eggs. Well, she's okay. saying, be careful. Don't fuck with my eggs. And that's a strong, you know, later he'll be all happy about that because he can threaten her. Exactly. Oh, I'm going to shoot the egg. This is the most exciting I'm going to shoot the egg scene in that's movie right. history. That is the most intense I'm going to shoot your egg scene I've ever seen. So oh, yeah. Up there with the scene in Casablanca. The crew was given more time than usual in Corman Productions. Now, this was shot in 18 days, the principal photography at least. But... Simon, Adam Simon had six months to research and write it off the book. Um, They ignored a lot of plot points from the book, but I'm saying six months because of the special effects and everything. They didn't want to use stop motion because it would take too long and interfere with the filming. Real-time models, that's what they went with. And green camera work. Yeah. How can we get into it? But the point of view of the carnosaur, you see the chromatic uh, vision. So the rebel forces need to go here because the... uh, I don't know. know, It's not Star Wars. I don't know. um, So they had a three-foot T-Rex animatronic puppet. They had regular hand puppets. They had a... Suit model, you know, the suit, and they had the full scale prop, of course, which was the robot, and it had a system life like hinges and cables and pulleys. Uh, they had a lot of different uh, uh, puppets and robots and such. I heard, I heard they had to use part of the script to make that uh, carnosaur. Now it's turning into a pandemic kind of thing. And again, it's just another person who's right. sick. Contagion. Man, look at that car. That's pretty hot. Phew. 
it was very it's, difficult uh, for them to make this feel real, you know, the, the dinosaurs. Right. This guy's like, hey, thanks for taking my wife. I'm going to get going. That's exactly right. And they're on. like, no, you're not. Come on, fellas. This is March Madness. You got to let me go home. Yeah. So they spent seven no, no weeks for me. with all the robots and special effects. Seven weeks. It's not your typical Corman let's go and shoot movie. Yeah. Well, you know, like, I don't know how many theatrically released movies Corman for New Horizons were cranking out in 93. You know, I could see them make new Munchies movie on DVDs, <laughs> you know, or... Because he would crank out these, you know, he's famous for his movies in the 50s and 60s, and they had a different distribution system back yes. then. Where they were drive-ins, and it just needed shit. There were double feature houses that just needed garbage. They needed a B-movie, you know. And that, they needed that a reason dried to get up. He didn't go away, you know. He, he, he stayed relevant. Yeah, because there's, like, video, direct-to-video, there's direct-to-cable. There's, right. right now, I mean, sci-fi, a lot of those, like, Octo Shark versus Shark Octopus. Those are all Corman productions. She's crazy, man. Look at her act. She's really a cuckoo. I don't know. Maybe she's sane. Yeah. I mean, she, yeah, she had this clever idea. Let me uh, get create a pandemic that gets women sick and produce uh, dinosaur babies. She's going to destroy the human race and replace it with robots. That's, is that the reason why I'm sorry, with dinosaurs. I'm sorry. I'm thinking about the Dinosaurs robots. that happen to be robots. Right. Yeah, no, right. Yeah, it all blurs together. Uh, it's another dinosaur pregnancy. Oh, yeah. This is like, I didn't come to see this. I did not pay to go to the fucking Brookline movie house to watch this shit. I came yeah. to see Carnosaurus. Gross. Movie's so depressing. Tip tree. <laughs> Crazy. Oh my god. Well, at least we don't have to watch Sam Elliott. Not Sam Elliott. Who's that? The guy in uh, Sam Neill. So, this Doc Smith, I don't know anything. Raphael Sabarge, I just don't know him. Uh, best known for his role as Archie Hopper, Jimmy Cricket in the <clears throat> Once Upon a Time. And. Huh. He was in the Mass Effect trilogy. I don't know. He was on TNT. Oh, those, those are video games. Series Murder in the First. Right. Well, I'm sure everyone was. You know, Carl, I just realized what you were saying. Laura Dern was in Jurassic Park. Yes. So it finally clicked. So the weekend that she came out, her mom her was mom. appearing in a ripoff movie. Right. So <laughs> people were like, it's a coup. Right. They couldn't tell them apart. They're like, which dinosaur movie starring uh, a Dern? Now, I don't know if it's very interesting, but also 
Um, uh, also, the, let me just see here. Clint Howard has a nephew uh, who's that woman in the new Jurassic Park films. Where is it? That's a bit of a stretch. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A niece, right? Bryce Howard. Bryce Howard. Bryce, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. Yeah. So, Bryce Dallas Howard. Yeah, here it is. I don't know. Is that interesting? Corman couldn't have known that. Look at the doggies. I think they're so cute. They're going to get eaten. Oh, yeah. Oh, bad movie. You can, kill, you can kill 32 people, but the moment you get the dog eating, that's it. Did the dog die? Yeah. Oh, all right, I'll check. Now, look, she's waxing oh. philosophic. She's waxing poetic about a world, a beautiful world that she's going to have made millions of years from now. That is so crazy. So she just wants to kill off the human race now. Right. So that she's you like know, a Carnosaurus Three was called Carnosaurus. All right. Does the dog die, Carnosaur? Does the dog die? Yes. One vote. Does an animal die besides a dog, cat, or horse? Yes. Yeah, chickens. Are animals abused? Yes. Do they mean in the... I think those are the categories. Oh, does somebody vomit? Yes. <laughs> are there strobe effects? Yes. Is there childbirth? Oh, yeah. That's oh, the... yeah. Does a pregnant woman die? Yes. Does someone miscarry? Yes. Is there sexual content? Yes. Yes. Now, this is Sheriff. Uh, is there blood gore? Him throughout the film, and he's going to take on the dinosaur now. So he's like, come out here. It's just you and me. His name's Harrison Page. Yeah. <clears throat> Basically. Yeah, that's a cool name. Yeah, well, he's been all over, like, JAG and ER and, and Melrose Place and Quantum Leap, you know, Wonder Years, 21 Jump Street. Yeah. It's like all over TV. Dukes of Hazard, Hill Street Blues. Columbo, everybody's been in Columbo. Oh, he was in Kung Fu. Yeah. So you think he played cops in all those shows? No, but but sort of. Like Don Rickles, CPO Sharky, he was like a regular, and he was in uh, Beyond the Fat right. Valley of the Dolls. He was in Lionheart with cool. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Okay, so he he's thinks friends with the one of the twins. He thinks the dinosaur's inside, but he gets a surprise. Ow! He got him. Nice shot. Yeah. Down for the count. So the cop is victorious. One. Sheriff Fowler. Two. Three. Eight, nine, ten. Ding, 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 ding. Sheriff wins. Sheriff wins. Don't go close to it, Sheriff. It I might know, not. you dumbass. It costs a lot of money to build that. Yeah, headshot. Quick, before he chops you. 
Like a dinosaur knows what's going on. Oh, just shoot already. Oh. Let's see you. <coughs> that looks like alien. Ooh, valiantly dies. Yep. In the line of duty. In the line. I'm sorry, ma'am, but you're. He died in the line of duty protecting the world from a dinosaur outside a liquor store. That's put yeah. a pitch up. He got a raptor hook in his crotch. He's <laughs> a line of duty. Yeah, you heard me. So they wanted the like guy who wrote this uh, book to write the script, and he did write a first draft, and he sent it to Corman, and then Corman like just never bothered to talk back, you know, just forgot about him. As a matter of fact, in the end, his credit is reduced to original story. That's not bad. You get money off of that. It might be that you don't get, get money, but there's no resemblance to the guy's book except for the name, and he was really disappointed. Can we be? Can we be honest? That's all you need in this movie is the name Carnosaur. It's sold. <laughs> Well, all you need is Jurassic Park, and it's sold. Yeah. I think I like Jurassic Park. That was pretty good. I like Lost World. I thought that was pretty good. Jurassic World. Party time. Excellent. Excellent. Party on, T-Rex. Party on, Carnosaur. <laughs> See, shot Diane Ladd is so not acting in this movie. He shot one of the eggs. She's so angry. She's so angry. That's her child. Don't look at her face. She's saying, "Don't do it." There's the uh, original anthem. Yeah, they can make a vi a vaccine with that. That's what he wanted. So now he will leave the lab. Um, you see what I mean? It was so weird. He like went into the lab, got her at gunpoint, and then said, I'm going to hang with you for a while. Okay, you Jane? <laughs> and she went, okay, darn it. And I'll tell you all about my evil plots. Right. Look out. Disco. Yep. This is the strobe lights I was warned about. T-Rex, and that's the robot. That looks like one of those hallways, like you ever been to like a near, like a Manhattan uh, 70s inspired like office complex where they have like a long hallway with neon lights in it? Yep. You, you walk through there to get to the building, it's kind of cool. Diane? Am I done yet? No, Diane, still more 20 minutes. Yeah, well, she was asking him, Simon if she could leave. He's like, nope. Yeah, that's the final act. Scene. Uh, well, Adam, I'm just going to sleep on set. It's just wake me when, I'm, when my final scene is ready. Oh, no, it's a birth scene. I take it back. Yeah. Great. Now, she starts showing her cooch, but it comes out of her stomach. Huh. Well, it's it is time. I don't know. I found the name Bryce Dallas Howard, Clint Howard's niece. 
and she is like a yeah. I don't like the term ginger. I like redhead much better, but that's what she is, just like her, uh, just like her uncle Ron Howard. Yeah, 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 yeah. She was in uh, uh, Von, uh, Lars Trier, Lars Von Trier movies. Uh, she kind of, I don't know. I, I've seen her in a bunch of stuff. You all right? I'll tell you, man. Jurassic World. Who gives a fuck? I know. I even my son, who loves Jurassic Park movies, doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. But what about the world? It's like, all right, here's the dinosaurs we all love. Yay, killer dinosaurs. And here's two lovable characters that we're going to stretch into three movies. Who gives a shit? I gave more shit about that little boy in Jurassic Park 3. Cause, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like Jurassic Can Park 3, it's Laura Dern and Sam Neill. Like, we're still here. Oh, I think... Uh, didn't Goldblum show up in three? He didn't show up in three. Who? But he shows up in World. Jeff Goldblum. He no, shows up he in show Jurassic up in World. He showed up in the second yeah. one. Oh, no. Ew, gross. Diane, what are you doing? Ew. Ew. This is what this is what my synagogue taught me about sex. Really gross. You have to rip it out of your stomach. Yeah, I'll never have premarital sex. Yeah. She likes it. She Mama. likes it. Watch, see her face. Oh, I like it. My dinosaur. Hey. <laughs> uh. Doc is back and he's got the serum. And of course, Good. girlfriend uh, is sick now. Charles in charge girl. So he's just going to take care of his uh, Charles and Charge girl. No, he's going to fight the dinosaur and do what he has to do. Honey, how are you feeling? Oh, much better. This is a lot easier than being on the set of Charles and Charge. <laughs> she retired from acting after this film. Well, you know, if you put on a show, you get to give birth to a dinosaur. Dino dinosaur. Yeah, my dino is sore. <laughs> uh, so, right. Think about the time you, you finally left the set of Charles in Charge. <laughs> right. Relax. Think about, think about happy things like leaving Charles in Charge. So, according to Corman, <laughs> uh, Dr. Jane Tiptree was originally envisioned for a male character who had a great deal of strength at the same time was an intelligent person, but no one was available is the way he puts it. So Corman rewrote the character as a woman and offered it to Diane Ladd, having previously worked together on the 1966 film Wild Angels. Whoa, wow. Yeah. She must be good in that movie. 1963? 66 was Wild Angels. Yeah. Well, Bruce Dern did The Trip, right, with Corbin? Right. Back in Bruce... 67 or something like that? Wait, The Trip yeah. with Jack Jack Nicholson was a Roger Corman film? Oh, you're right. I get the two mixed up. Well, The Trip and then there was Freak Out, right? Freak Out. That we sounds one of like Roger Corman, yeah. Well, there was one that Dick Clark ripped off. So... Dirt I'm pretty sure the, the trip is... Psych, yeah. psych Out. Was it called Psych Out? 
It was Jack Nichols. Yeah, I think so. And, Quantum Leap. And that was guy. that was a Corman ripoff. It was a Dick Clark production, and the Corman himself took acid and made a movie called The Trip, and I believe that had Peter Fonda and Bruce Dern in it. Now is the trip with Jackie Gleason? Because that movie's still coming. Oh, that was to do. You you recommended it. Well, well, there's the oh, there's a, a series of mo recent movies called The Trip, which is uh, Steve Coogan and Rob something, uh, and they play themselves. They're kind uh -huh. of like successful British comedians. And they go to the different restaurants. And they, there's four of these movies. I think five? There's the trip where they go through England. And then there's like the trip to Spain, the trip to Italy. And I think they just did the trip to Greece. I might have seen the trip. Uh, it was with, yeah, the English comedians. And it, the guy was like the fifth person.